Welcome back to the Renaissance podcast. Hope you're having a great morning. And this is a little bit of a special Sunday edition. So we're just going to have some reflections on the week and then a couple of inputs and a little bit of reading from uh, a classical passage from one of the great works with the epic of the Odyssey, which is tied into one of the book talks we had this week, uh, which was published yesterday about Ulysses. But first, we just wanted to mention a new video on our friend uh, Tommaso's uh, channel, Tom L.A. Books. So he's making 100 videos about the Divine Comedy, and uh, he's now into the Paradiso. And he had yesterday a conversation with one of his uh, viewers and, and commenters, uh, Brandon. He has another one with a, with a YouTube channel. And they're talking about one hour about faith and about reason and about how they have two different viewpoints with Tommaso being a, a Catholic, but also a very intellectual Catholic and Brandon growing up as a missionary child and then falling away from the faith and now still being uh, curious about these topics and also wrestling with many of the big questions. But it's really nice to watch because it's an example of a discussion about a mutual understanding of a very complicated topic. And that in itself is inspiring to watch. So we're having the link down in the description. And just to take one overall topic or theme from the discussion, it is the the extent or the degree to which there is a big intellectual and philosophical uh, kind of treasure trove in some of the spiritual traditions. So this comes very clearly in Dante especially, or the whole Catholic theology with Aquinas and Bonaventure, the 11-1200s, what comes out from the monasteries and then into the universities then in the beginning, in Sorbonne, in Paris. And it's sometimes very surprising to have another look at the thinking at the time. This also goes back to the Greek founders, of like the church founders who were many of them first Greek philosophers who started to take in allegorically the wisdom and the beauty and the insights from the biblical stories. So all of this can be viewed from a secular perspective and you can uh, discover many interesting things. And then it's also helpful to try to sort out what could you see as a, well, like the perspective we're having here, like a discerning secular person who has a great interest and love of theology, or if you, or which parts are more uh, your personal convictions and your sort of really religious beliefs. So that could often be kind of a good first step is to make like a more overall um, overview of the whole landscape and to try to sort out which parts are uh, open to convictions, interpretations, and your personal ideas or, or kind of what you just what feels right as well and then which parts could be discerned fully intellectually and as they should be in an especially like a cosmology from Dante so um, just mentioning that point because if you watch the video it's, it's helpful to know that Tommaso is very much founded in the whole world of Dante and both uh, the, the spiritual intellectual uh, wisdom and kind of the whole package that you get through Dante. So that was the first uh, input with the video. And then we are having lots of afterthoughts on the the last 
book talk we had with Sean from Mythos and Logos about Ulysses and this great literary masterwork from James Joyce, then written in the 1900s, uh, and the whole big topic about modernity again. We're not going to talk too much about this, but we kept also discussing with um, uh, with Adam, who was uh, on the on the second book talk about like what does Ulysses say about the modern times, and if you compare this to the Odyssey, which story is really most inspiring and morally deep? And there's something about like to which extent can modernity stand on its own feet without the massive foundation of the very best in the big tradition, for example, the Greek uh, or also the Renaissance classical foundation. So to just mention a couple of points on this topic, there is something about more modernist works, if you think broadly, like four or five hundred years, that um, the idea of morality as something that is practically right or wrong is often missing. Uh, not as a, a philosophical abstract idea or conviction about the good and the not good in the world, but just like what is working long term, what could be seen as in a in a practical, uh, <laughs> like almost like a mechanical sense, uh, helpful or not helpful behavior or actions that will help you and your future and those around you, or they will hurt your future and yourself and those around you. Very so much of of reading again, like something like Dante, is giving you examples of what is helpful for you at a personal level and what is not helpful for you. So some some types of good actions, helpful actions towards other people will, for the most part, long-term, then always breed good things. Other actions, behaviors like lies and uh, fraud, betrayal, will create lots of damage, which can can kind of grow and perpetuate like for like a long, long way into the future. So those, to the extent that you see morality as a practical guideline based upon experience, uh, that aspect is often missing from many more modernist works. And there's another uh, issue with modernist works, which is that there is often no effort at an overall framing or understanding of the world and existence and being. It's more concerned about picking things apart and very often it just leaves you confused with no ability to orient yourself or to make any any informed choices about what to do. So it's understandable in part because this is again like if you see the modernist literature as well as a reaction both to what was before, especially the bad part of what came before, and also it could to some extent be seen as an expression of a confusing world. If you're born into uh, a beautiful uh, Greek island two uh, two and a half thousand years ago in a happy community with beautiful weather and you can... um, 
have a, like a work and an everyday life that you're happy with, you will have a, a different outlook on the world compared to being born into a industrialized big city with often kind of, for example, like no community cohesion and just a, a bombardment of incoherent inputs and demands and almost impossible to kind of get a, an overall view of the world that you're born into. So this is just like the, the old critique that came in the 1800s of the industrialized world as well. So the, that's all we just wanted to kind of briefly touch upon that came a little bit out of talking and going deeply into Ulysses again. So uh, the, just to take the good part of the old, that much of the classic kind of the what's uh, often seen as the tradition and the best parts of it would try to give examples of an overall big picture of life and the world. Uh, this goes very much into the Greek mythology and is also in, in some ways the main ambition of Dante's Divine Comedy. To, to mention that as kind of an early Renaissance work. Okay, so then we're going to have the last part today of this little Sunday edition, which is a reading from Homer, the Odyssey, book 12, about the sirens. So this is the Fagel's tra um, translation, and uh, we're just going to read like how uh, Cer Circe is giving Odysseus the warning about what's going to happen when he's trying to sail home. And the first thing is that they're going to encounter the sirens. So, we're reading now, and the quote. First, you will raise the island of the sirens, those creatures who spellbind any man alive, whoever comes their way, whoever draws too close, off guard, and catches the sirens' voices in the air, no sailing home for him, no wife racing to meet him, no happy children beaming up at their father's face. The high thrilling song of the sirens will transfix him, lolling there in their meadow, round them heaps of corpses, rotting away, rags of skin shriveling on their bones. Race straight past that coast, soften some beeswax, and stop your shipmates' ears so none can hear. None of the crew, but if you are bent on hearing, have them tie you hand and foot in the swift ship, erect at the mast block, lashed by ropes to the mast, so you can hear the siren's song to your heart's content. But if you plead, commanding your men to set you free, then they must lash you faster, rope on rope. And then the ending, but once your crew has rowed you past the sirens, a choice of routes is yours. I cannot advise you which to take or lead you through it all. You must decide for yourself, but I can tell you the ways of either course. So this is the warning from Circe about the the journey and then now the sailing that uh, Odysseus is about to embark upon. And it's a nice reminder of the idea of temptation, the timeless warning about the nature of temptation, what it can lead you to and that you can prepare and protect yourself from 
temptations, but also knowing that once you get into the thrall of it, you will lose control over yourself. So you have to prepare beforehand and also be careful with entering a situation where you know there will be sirens. So it's uh, it's nice to just think that this has been uh, a living story, a tale about temptations for over two and a half thousand years. So uh, we're going to stop this one here. We thought about 10 minutes as a little Sunday input and um, thoughts about both the old and the new and the Renaissance and the rediscovery and uh, and all the beauty and wisdom that we can find, especially then in the old. So with that, uh, hope you're still having a great morning, great day, great Sunday, and uh, we'll see you again in another episode. Bye-bye.